Welcome to the supporting cast. This is Eli Goldsmith. Today's guest is Robert Ori, former professional basketball player and seven-time NBA champion, having won two championships for the Houston Rockets, three with the LA Lakers, and two more with the San Antonio Spurs. When recounting his career, Robert speaks in particular about the coaches who led these championship teams, including Rudy Tomjanovich, Phil Jackson, and Greg Popovich, in addition to some of the big games and critical plays that earned him his famous nickname, Big Shot Robert Ory. Robert also speaks about growing up in rural Alabama, some of the racial tensions and segregation around youth sports in Alabama before being recruited to play at the University of Alabama. There is literally no one outside of the 1960s Celtics who has won more NBA championships than Robert Ory and definitely no one who has hit more big shots on the road to doing so. This is The Supporting Cast. Welcome to the supporting cast. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Um, so first, I guess to start off, we are obviously in this pandemic. There's been a surge recently, more lockdowns coming in Los Angeles. How have you been doing? I guess is the first question. How are you and how are your family? You know, the family's been doing well. We've been very mindful of what's going on. We um, we try to stay out of, of harm's way. So when I say that, we don't really go to the market that much. Uh, yeah. If we do, we try to get in, get out. And, and before in the market, we might spend an hour just walking down aisles and do we need this, do that? Now we literally make a list and we stick to that list and <laughs> yeah. we go in and we get out. Um, but we have to be mindful because we got um, grandparents, we have to check on, make sure they, they have what they need. And, and overall, just trying to be healthy because uh, we're no spring chickens either, you know, 50 years old now. So we yeah. have to make sure the health is, is, is good. Good. That's good to hear. So first, I guess we can start with the present. So right now you're working with, with Spectrum, right? And covering the Lakers correct? primarily. Mm -hmm. Can you just talk a little bit about what it was like covering kind of the bubble playoffs and obviously covering the world champion now, uh, LA Lakers? Well, I've been working for Spectrum for, I think, eight plus years now. And it was weird because you went from, you know, watching the great late Kobe Bryant try to bring a team back to his glory days. And and then that didn't happen. Now you get LeBron and, and two years in the making, he's he's brought a championship to to the Lakers. But it was different. I know a lot of people want to say we want to put an asterisk on this year yeah. and whatnot. But it, everybody had the same situation. And I know back in 99, we had a shortened season. Everybody said, oh, you want to put an asterisk. Everybody had the same situation. So it wasn't like it was anything different for anybody else that had any, you know, anything going in their favor. And I, I think for them to, to – to persevere and have this pandemic take control of their season, their lives, and for them to still be able to focus and, and be in the bubble. I think they were in the bubble over a hundred days wow. uh, and, and to be able to win a championship. Think about that. That's, you know, three months away from your family. And I don't think people understand that yeah. you're, you're by yourself, just your teammates, your second family and, and, and playing a, 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 a game that we all love and, and cherish and we doing it for the fun and the love of it to try to bring a championship to the team. And, and that's what the Lake was able to accomplish in, in unprecedented circumstances. So I, I was very proud of those guys to persevere and win the championship. Cause I think about 
if I could have done it. Yeah. I, I know I would have been missing my kids way too much to try to focus on basketball. Yeah. Do you think that it led to, um, you know, there was talk about how the Clippers, for example, didn't have as much cohesion maybe as, as the Lakers as a team. Do you feel like because it was this bubble situation that kind of how the team worked together made a bigger difference even in this scenario? Obviously, it makes a difference in every team. But do you think kind of cohesion was an even bigger factor in this playoff? Oh, no doubt. I think cohesion had a big thing to do it because if you look at how people can come together in tight situations, just think about it when you're stuck in with someone or family, anything, uh, even when you're in the, ele- if you get stuck in the elevator for like an hour, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> some frustrations arise that you didn't even know you had. And think about it, you're in the bubble with these guys, and then you know you, you run out of things to talk about. So when you're talking about the good, you have the bad to talk about. And I think some of those teams start talking about some things that was on their chest, and a lot of times people don't want to, you know, accept what other people have on their chest, and and you have to do that as a family and you know, your team is your family. So I think a lot of those guys nowadays, they can't accept that. They feel like they can do no wrong. And I think with some of those teams down there, the, the bubble manifested some of the things that was irritating them. You know, I can only go by the rumors you hear because I wasn't in the locker room. But sure. You hear about certain teams talking about how they came unglued and, yeah. and, it, and it showed it on the court. And, um, and I think some teams came together. And, and when you have guys that are strong minded, and from the getting to know some of those Lakers and talking to them after games and doing interviews, you can tell how this is what they really wanted. This is what they had in mind. This is their goal. And yeah. nothing could, you know, get derailed them from getting a goal. And I think it brought them together because they was able to hash out some some, some things. And, you know, when AD, did, he even said this, you know, they got mad at him about a situation in the game. They got on him and he realized, hey, I wasn't doing what I was supposed to do. Mm. And it's not about me. It's about we. And he went out and, you know, and, re- and rectified the situation. I think if you are, are, are mentally strong enough and you are in this to win this, so to say, and you're all about taking constructive, you know, constructive criticism. Yeah. The bubble was going to let you know uh, what was at hand because people were going to hey, I don't have my family's not here. I can't take my frustrations out on my family. Yeah. You're my family. So I'm going to take it out on you. And I think that was what a lot of teams did. And I think in the Lakers case, it brought them closer together. You are known, obviously, you're a seven-time NBA champion. Uh, most NBA championships of anyone, I think, not in the 60 Celtics, I think, which yes. is amazing. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and you've hit some huge shots. You have this uh, reputation being Big Shot Rob, Big Shot Bob. When you were a little kid, I'm curious, did you dream about hitting last-second threes? Uh, and, and if yeah. so, kind of what was your dream? Did you ever dream about doing this sort of thing when you were a little kid? You, you know, you go... Know, it's funny. What kid doesn't do that? Yeah, I, I, I did. I remember, <laughs> you know, doing that on the playground. Um, but, you know, it, it's weird. I I never I, – I think I did like one or two times, no, five, four, three, two, yeah. one, where you have to make the shot before you leave the park. We all do that. But growing up, I always saw myself on the mound somewhere in the ninth inning, you know, ah. pitching, you know, trying to be J.R. Richardson coming off the mound, throwing 100 minutes. That was that was my dream growing up. I was wanted to be to play a pitcher. Baseball. Huh. I, yeah, I wanted to play baseball, and that was my goal. But all of a sudden, I started getting taller and taller, and the <laughs> basketball skill set started getting better and better. Yeah. And, and people was like, man, you need to just stick with basketball, focus on that. And, and that's what I, I, I kind of did. But I, I remember the only thing I remember also doing, I, I lived on the top of a hill, and the park that we used to play at was at the bottom of the hill. And so my thing was, I used to just try to act like I was coming down the court on Magic Johnson, bringing the ball up, <laughs> going up the hill, trying to handle it. Because if I lost control of the ball, 
it will roll back down the hill. So uh-huh. I had to run back down the hill uh-huh. and get it. And I, and I told myself, you cannot lose the basketball. And I remember cars were coming by, and that's the only time I could pick the ball up. I had to start back at that same point and start going back up the hill, dribbling the basketball. And I remember these old old ladies used to say, you had it again, huh, Robert? I'm like, yes, ma'am. And that's just what I used to do, going up the hill to try to improve my handles. And, and it was it, that's the only thing I, I did. I never really focused on last-second shots. It yeah. was just like either coming off the mound or bringing the ball up against my idol, the guy I really loved in the game, Magic, Magic Johnson. Yeah. So, yeah. And so where did you grow up, Robert? I grew up in a small town called Andalusia, Alabama, but if you're from Spain, it's called Andalusia. Mm. And I did, I learned that because it's a show I used to watch called Alias with Jennifer Gardner. Oh, yeah. And I remember <laughs> one time it flashed Andalu- Andalusia. I was like, oh, we're going to Andalusia. I'm like, hey, that's in Andalusia. I'm like, oh, but yeah. <laughs> so it was, yeah, small town in Alabama. I think we had about 50,000 people. Uh, my graduating high school class was 130 and Wow. Really small town. Got yeah. it. And so you got recruited. Did you play baseball in high school and basketball or? Yeah, I just played basketball. But yeah. I, I stopped playing baseball after my ninth grade year. It's just, it just uh, I don't want to say this, but it just wasn't a good time in Alabama to be playing baseball. It wasn't for me at the time. Ah. So I kind of walked away from it. I hate that I did because of, you know, other people forced me out of the game. Do you mean sort of in growing up in Alabama that the perception was that baseball was a white sport? Yes, yes. And and, yeah. and plus, if you went to in Alabama, small towns like that, it's called a small town mentality. And, and it was some situations, even growing up when I was one of the best p- baseball players in my town, yeah. you could, we were only allowed three blacks on the all-star team. And so huh. I remember one year, I didn't make the, my last year in Little League. I remember this like it was just, I didn't make the all-star team because a foul ball was hit towards one of the coaches and it was right in front of his feet. I was like, can you throw the ball, please? He's like, you come get it, boy. I looked around and I was like, boy, you know, you know, I'm only like 13. I'm like, but that's something you just, you you don't do. And I didn't end up making an all-star team that year. But the funny story is what they used to do back in the day is the team that won the, the, the league that year played the all-star team to get them ready. Uh-huh. And, we won it every year, and our team was like ninety <laughs> percent black with three uh, white guys on our team, and we won it that year. And we was getting ready to you know, get ready for the game, and people come out to watch the game. And I told coach, I said, "I'm pitching today," and we played the all star team, and we beat them like thirty to three, and, and everybody was looking like, and you, it was weird because, and it, and I hate to say this, and you look back on it and you laugh. And, and and you smirk about it because you had this black section over here and the white section over here, and the black folks are just rooting and the white people are in shock like what's going on and and it was and i think that moment after that they kind of realized and, it, and it's and it's weird to say because it's been happening in alabama football back when the bear Bryant says we can't have this and we got to get some blacks on our team yeah. they kind of switched it up it kind of says you know we can't uh-huh. have like when our best players don't make it because we can only allow three players and, and, and it, it was one of those things real and, and realize you only hurt yourself. You only hurt the city yeah. because you're going to not allow these these black athletes to play when they're just as good as the white athletes. And yeah. It, but and it was so weird. But when it came to basketball, it was like, huh, that's just a black sport. Oh, <laughs> it, was, it was just weird in my hometown huh. like that. But that small town mentality, though. And so you were recruited, obviously, out of high school um, to play basketball mm-hmm. and you played at Alabama. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Correct. The University of Alabama on the Wimp Sanderson. <laughs> Got it. And it was weird because when I was coming out, I did not want to go to Alabama. <laughs> I, I, and why? I told myself, I, I said, I'd want to go to a basketball school. I want to uh, go to ACC. That's a football school. Alabama's a football school. school. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah, I'm I'm tired of playing in high school in a basketball program. I mean, football program where all they care about is football. Our football team was decent, but they weren't as good as us. I think yeah. in high school I was there. I think we lost a total of like uh, like 15 games in four years that I was there. So we, I just felt like it wasn't enough respect when it came to basketball. And and then, but the recruit, the, the coaches and the recruits that I had at Alabama were great. And it came down to flipping the coin, going to Alabama, Georgia Tech, and uh, Alabama won out. You know, it was weird. My whole school wanted me to go to Alabama except for one person, and that was my uh, calculus teacher. She was like, you should go to Georgia Tech and be an engineer. And I looked at her and like, mm, I don't think I want to study that much when I go to college. <laughs> I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, you know, compared to being an accountant or something in that sense, I was like, okay, engineers seem like all they're going to do is spend their time in the library, you know, on computers, read and write. I'm like, I gotta, I'm I'm on a basketball scholarship. Will I have enough time? So yeah, it, it was weird. And so what was your experience like there ultimately after going? Was there a coach there or maybe a professor there that had an impact on you at that time? When I went to Alabama, it was just Wimp. Uh, Wimp Sanderson was a huge influence mm -hmm. in my life because I, I think it's, it's funny how, you know, people can see things in you that you cannot see. Even my elementary coach, middle school coach, high school coach, they they all saw something in me hmm. that, you know, I just want to be this. I try to tell it, you know, my son Christian this all the time. You know, people just have this natural gift of, of a leading. And sometimes coaches can see that. Yeah. So they can see how people gravitate towards you and your personality and how you have a love for everybody on the team, not just yourself or a certain individual where you, you talk to everybody. And I think all those coaches understood when I first got to Alabama, Wimp was like, he saw that, you know, I, I, I didn't care what you said. I'm going to say, hey, dude, this is what's right. This is what's wrong. Hey, yo, I messed up. You know, I, I, my fault. I did. You know, a lot of guys are messed up and try to, you know, do the Homer Simpson and fade back into the hedges. But <laughs> for me, I was like, I, I, I took onus to what I messed up. I said, okay, my bad. I'm going to make it better next play. Or I'm going to do better next time out. And I think when you have guys like that on your team, that can take constructive criticism and get on to their teammates, not in a bad way, not trying to embarrass them, and I, and just talking to them like you know you're talking to your, your your brother, your parents, or anybody, you know, having a good conversation with them. I think they can understand that hey, this person has something special. This person can lead by example or lead, you know, by by having a conversation with people. And I think Wimp, he put that on me as soon as by my sophomore year. Huh. He was like, okay. You know, this is what you got to do. They, they, this is going to be your team for the next three years. And I'm like, mm, no, it's not. I said, I'm just a sophomore <laughs> trying to figure it out still. <laughs> and it, it was one of those things that when you, you know, you look back on it, like I said, and you says, wow, thank you. You made me uh, a, a man. Mm -hmm. uh, you helped me to grow as an individual and realize it's just more to just be, you know, being the good old I and team is more, more, more of a week. And what kind of leader were you in, in college? Were you a loud vocal leader? Were you a quiet leader somewhere in between? I was all of it. I yeah. was all of it because it, every situation, you know, it, it determines something different. I, I think my biggest aha moment for me came my senior year when we had a guy on a team by the name of Roy Rogers. He's actually just became one of the assistant coaches for the Clippers for this next mm. upcoming season. Mm. He's been, a, um, he played in the NBA a couple of years and he played, he coached for a couple of years also. So I remember, getting out of practice he was a freshman redshirt freshman and we were you know when you in in the sec season you kind of leave practice before the redshirt freshman they, got, they had to stay around and i remember i was coming out the dorm he was just getting back from practice and he was like i'm done i'm like done with what he says i don't i don't want to do this 
I'm not good enough. I can't do this. I'm not strong mm. enough. And I was like, dude, I'm like, I'm about to go see my girlfriend at the time. I'm sitting here having a 30, 30 minute conversation with this freshman. Like, yo, man, dude, it, you, you learn it. You're getting better. I can see it. I, I can see it. The coaches see it. They're going to push you, dude. They did me the same way. I said, my first year here, I wanted to quit. I wanted to transfer. But you know what? I said, you know what? Nobody's going to punk me. Nobody's going to allow, you know, they'll say I can't do something. I know in my heart and my mind that I can do it. And so I'm having this conversation with you. Hmm. And and next thing I know, you know, two years later, he's leading the SEC in shot blocking. I think the biggest funny moment was when I went back to visit after my first year in the NBA, he had moved into my room and he was dressing like I dress. And it was just funny because he literally tried to become me and take over the team. And he became yeah. the leader of the team, wow. even though he wasn't the best player on the team, but he was a defensive, you know, staple. And they anchor and they kind of responded to him because he was a became a lovable, likable guy. And I told him, I said, no matter what, you would always try to be me, but you would never be me. You know, because we, <laughs> we're still great friends, friends to this day. Yeah. And so then you get drafted after your senior year, right, into the NBA to the Houston Rockets originally, right? Correct. Very early on, right? You were hitting big shots. Even your even your rookie year, you were hitting some big shots. But then it was 94, 95 when you won the NBA finals with the Rockets. I'm curious, we can go through your whole career, but I, I really want, as, as we talked about last week, I really want to, I would love to focus on the coaches that you played for and then some of the team leaders that you played with and, and people you learned yeah. from. And so with the Rockets, I'm curious, Rudy T, Rudy Tomjanovich, kind of what did you learn from him? What kind of coach was he for you? I think Rudy T was my favorite out of all the coaches I, ah. I played for on the NBA mm. level. I think because he, when you have a coach that trusts your opinion, and believe in your your skill set and your IQ. That makes you feel good as a player. And I, I know playing with Rudy, he will always ask guys, "What's the feel of the game? What are they saying out there?" Because when you're on the court, you understand when guys are, are getting mad at the, each other because they're not covering for each other defensively, or they're not sharing the basketball, things like that. So you come back and you report that to to the coach. And Rudy was that type of guy. Where like, what's what's the feel out like there? What are you saying? You know, what do you want to run? It's not. It, it wasn't about. You know, I think for me, it's just like he trusted us. He trusted mm. our opinion. And I think a lot of coaches nowadays, they know that their jobs are on the line. They say, oh, I'm going to go with mine because I'm the one that's at risk here. And I think with Rudy, he didn't care. He says, you yeah. know what? You have the pulse of the team. You're, you're out there playing. Go out there and do what's best for the team. And and he just came to us collectively and asked us what we wanted to do. And, you know, it was always give the ball to dream and get out of the way. But still, <laughs> that's what we wanted to do. And I, I for us, I just think he – and then he took me on his wing and, and told me about, you know, understanding the basketball side of and the business side of it. And, you know, just having conversations with, with him and then talking about, you know, his time in the NBA and that situation where he almost lost his life with a situation on the court. Yep. And it, it just, you know, being personable was was the best thing about Rudy T. He wasn't, he didn't feel like you, he was, you know, I see he wasn't unapproachable. He was a great guy. And you mentioned give the ball to dream. That was Hakeem Olajuwon, mm-hmm. obviously. Yes. Uh, what was it like <laughs> playing with him? Or were there other players that you played with during those years, including him or others, Drexler, others who were mentors to you or, or that you learned from? Dream was was a quiet leader. He, yeah, he led by you know example. I think the two guys that influenced had the most influence on me was Otis Thorpe and Tree Rollins. Um, hmm. Tree Rollins was always making me as a rookie. Yeah, uh, we were you know back in '92, we still flew commercial, and so I remember Tree. We get out of practice, we had to fly somewhere, and Tree was like, "Oh, I'm leaving early, young fella. Go home, get your bag, 
and meet me at the airport. I'm like, what? Oh, I'm not even packed yet. We you know, so I had to run home, pack really quick, and you know, and, and then get and meet him at the airport because we could fly at different times if we wanted to. And sometimes he liked to get to a city early. And I would go like I remember one time we were going to Cleveland where he spent a lot of his career there. And I flew back to Cleveland. He said, No, you come with me. He took me home with him. We had his family. Mm-hmm. And we did, you know, he was just saying, you know, on the plane ride, he was just breaking down basketball to me. He was like, Okay, this is what we play for in the playoffs. This is how much money we make. This is what we need to do. We don't need to lose this number of games. And he was just, you know. Things that you would never think about as a rookie. He says, okay, if we have the best record in the league, we get this bonus. We have the second best record, we get this bonus. If you win our conference, you get this bonus. And a lot of people don't think about it. They think yeah. about just want to win games. And he was saying, okay, we can only lose two games this month. It was just little things like that he would talk to me about. And I think with Otis, Otis was all about taking care of your body. You know, if you ever look at his older thought body, he still has a great body this day. <laughs> he was all like, well, you can't eat this. We need to do this. All right, we need to eat breakfast for this game. So Otis was the guy that made me meet him before every game at IHOP. And we would sit there <laughs> and have a breakfast and then go to shoot around and then come home. And then uh, and it was weird because Otis made me eat breakfast with him before games. Tree made me eat uh, a, a lunch before games with him. So I was like, okay, he's like, you gotta get you gotta get stronger. So you, the, the thing about the NBA is you gotta stay fed, you gotta keep your weight on and all this kind of because it's a different league when I play. It was all about being bulky and strong, yeah, and not this lean, mean, you know, thin guys now. So those two guys were my biggest influence and my leaders that I, I still, you know, talk to till still to this day. Um, so you obviously won two championships there. I mean, the last one's it's worth saying in '95. You guys were a six seed, is yeah, that right? Coming out of the West. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I read that that's that's maybe the the one that you're proudest of. Is that right? And if so, kind of why? Yes, I, I, I'm 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 so proud of my second championship because yeah. it was a it was a, a crazy season. Um, we had a big trade where we got Clyde Drexler. We were coming right. off a championship year, and I remember in that season I was Otis. And, you know, like I said earlier, Otis Thorpe and I were like you know <laughs> brothers, little brother, big brother. And then when Clyde got you know was traded, when Otis and Clyde was traded for one another. It kind of made me mad, you know. You lost your brother, and, and, and I think a lot of times people say oh, it was business, but you you form these relationships, these bonds that you you have, and all of a sudden now he's gone. And I was I was mad at Clyde for no reason. It wasn't his fault, but I was mad mm-hmm. at Clyde. I was mad at ownership because my buddy was gone. And I I think you know sitting back and looking at that, you learn from it. And then you, during that season, we lost some games. You know, made the trade. Uh, I think, you know, coming off a championship team, you're supposed to be good the next season, right? No, we were losing games, like 10 in a row. Dream got hurt. I got hurt. Sam got hurt. Mario, we all got hurt. And it was one of those crazy things. And then at the end of the season, we just kind of came in kind of jail. And you look at the people we beat in the playoffs and then to go to be one of the first teams to sweep in the finals and make history was, was, was a great championship, you know. Something, you know, Rudy said it best. You never underestimate the heart of a champion. And, and we were <laughs> able to, you know, go back to back. And the thing, thing about that, never nobody ever wants to admit this, but in basketball, you don't really, you're not really considered a champion unless you're able to go back to back. You know, that was just a fluke. 
You win that one is just a fluke. If you win two in a row, oh, you a champion. <laughs> yeah. What are you if you win seven? I guess I don't know. <laughs> uh, me? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so you had a. I know you had a brief stop with the Suns, but I, I, I definitely yeah. being that we're in Los Angeles, I, I'd love to get to your time with the Lakers, mm-hmm. and you won obviously three championships with the Lakers playing with Shaq and Kobe and playing for Phil Jackson. So maybe start with Phil. What did you learn playing for Phil Jackson? You know, Phil was an interesting guy. He was one of those guys that he would put you in a situation. Like, for instance, he called Sacramento a cowbell town. I'm like, why would you do that right before the playoffs? Knowing this arena is small, the acoustics are bad, and he would do little things to challenge you mentally, see how you was going to step up to the challenge. And and for us, it was always moments like that that he would do. He would come in the locker room and, and say things and, and to challenge you mentally and to see if you was going to be smart enough. I, I think for me, the one moment with him was Ron Harper said it came to me before when Phil first got this. Is he, uh, he likes his, his whipping voice. That's what he called it, the whipping voice. I don't mean that in no derogative way, but that's just what we mm-hmm. term we use. And and he's like, Someone he's going to pick, pick on, on a little bit. He's going to pick yeah. on somebody. And, and I became that guy because in his mind, he wanted me to be Scotty Pippen. And I'm there and I says, you know, remember the time he going up the hill, dribbling basketball? Yeah. I didn't tell you, I wasn't very good at that, but I wasn't. <laughs> and I, I just wasn't a guy who liked dribbling the basketball. And I'm a two, three, four guy dribbles and I'm pulling up or doing that. So that wasn't me. And he tried to make me that guy. I'm like, dude, I'm not that guy. I'm, I'm a guy who's going to play defense, shoot threes, slash, don't try to make me hell on a rock. You know, I can two, three dribbles and passes best as anybody, but I'm not coming up to court with it. That's too much energy. I'm not doing all that. So, and I think he was, he, he, I was that guy that was always on and he, he, he do little tests throughout the years, all these little things. And I remember we were on the, he, I remember one of his biggest things about being punctual, you know, you got to be on time. You, you know, you, you, you late, you get fined. Five minutes late, you get fined. 10 minutes late, you get doubled. 15 minutes late, you get um, you suspended for a game and all this kind of stuff. So we were on the bus one time. We were sitting there. And, and let me back up a little bit. He was like, regardless of who it is, if the if the five minutes late, bus leaves. Yeah. So we on the bus one time. And there are no coaches on the bus, right? And we go into practice. And everybody like, well, what are the coaches at? And everybody like, mm-hmm. I was like, well, I'm saying, well, it's time to go. It's like, they're not here. I said, I don't care. They said, we know we got practice at. We got right. we we leave at five. It was like let's say ten oh five rolled around. They not there. Ten ten. I go to the boat trial. Let's go. He's like, what? We know where we practice. They'll they'll, they'll get there. Go. Let's go. And so <laughs> the boat trial. Like, no, it's leave now. And so we get to the <laughs> practice site, and the coaches are in the gym, and they were like, so who had the cojones enough to say to tell them to leave us? And everybody looked around and pointed at me and feel like. Dang it! I'm like, it, it was like he was—he didn't know that was my mentality. He, he was like, he was just trying to figure me out, right? Because I never said mm-hmm. anything. You know, I would talk to people individually. Like, I'm not gonna be like, oh gosh, you gotta do this. When I'm trying to figure somebody out, I'm just gonna watch and learn, and you know, try to get to know him. And I didn't know Phil. You know, we had just had yeah. Dale Harris and Kurt, you know, Kurt Ramis's coaches. So. You know, Phil just been, you know, he's coached the greatest player ever. So you want to watch and learn, you know, be quiet and listen and figure him out. And after that moment, he and I had a kind of a, you know, one of those, you know, don't have to say anything to each other. Just look at each other, not. And you go off and do your thing. He go off and do his thing. I, I think I think that's the one thing he learned from me that you just got to tell me once, you know, and, and then trust yeah. and, and then trust the process that we both going to come up to get with the right answer. So 
I think that's the best thing about Fyodor. He he wanted you to believe in yourself and figure it out. And what about playing with obviously Shaq and Kobe? I mean, you mentioned that we lost Kobe Bryant this year. I I imagine you learned a great deal from him. And I wonder if there are others on those Laker teams who were mentors to you. You know, it, it was it was weird because when I got to the Lakers, I became one of the old heads. And then, you know, even though we were uh, a young team, I, I, because I had just one championship, it was myself, AC right, Green, Ron right. Harper, the guys with rings on the team. And so those guys were always, you know, looking at, you know, Kobe was what, five, six years younger than me. Uh, Shaq was yeah. younger than me. Uh, Fish was younger than me. And I'm looking around like, we're all like 24, 25, but I'm the old head on the team. You know, that's still in your prime. <laughs> so and we just, you know, we learned a lot from each other. I think, the, you know, Shaq, we talked a lot because, you know, I, just, I was – Played one of the best centers ever. And Hakeem Olajuwon, right. he, he was asking me, how do we do certain situations? What did he do? And then we had that conversation. And then Kobe and I had a conversation about Clyde, one of the best two guards in the game, too. So, you know, those guys were just, you know, leaning on me for just, you know, advice on how do we handle this situation? Because there was no situation that I hadn't been through. Even though this was only about the seventh year in the league, I had been through a lot. You know, you won two championships, played with all these great players. And now we're in a situation yeah. now where we're trying to be – as good as we were back then when championship. And, and I think those guys just leaned on me a lot. And then you had myself, Ron Harper, even John Sally, you know, with, with all these guys who won championships that they can lean on and talk to. So it was a different situation for me where um, it wasn't like someone was coming, you know, I was going to them for advice. I was the guy giving the advice. I mean, one of the highlights I imagine for you in LA, other than winning these championships, there was the 0-2 game versus the Kings, mm -hmm. right? Wasn't that a big game yeah. for you <laughs> in the playoffs when you yeah. hit? Again, another sort of game Kobe winner. Bryant on the move against Christie. In for the right. Flips the shot up. No good. O'Neal lays it up. Oh. Boston. Ball tipped oh. out to Laurie. straight on three. Good! The Lakers have won! Robert Laurie's greatest hits tour continues. Oh, no doubt about it. Uh, was that around the time or was it back in Houston when people started to think of you as clutch but it, Robert Ory. It was it was a little bit before that. It actually started back in Houston in the '95 uh, championship. You know yeah. where we had that run where I hit a big shot in Game One against the San Antonio Spurs, and then Robin yep. left me, and I pulled up and hit a J and won that game. So it kind of started then. And um, and when it got to the Lakers, it was kind of it was just it was right there. Like, hey, remember I'm 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 big shot right here. You know, forget me now. And it's because now the stage <laughs> is bigger because we got Shaq and Kobe. And the game yeah. has evolved so much, and you know the, the press coverage is what now people understand. Oh crap, this guy can make shots when he opens. So it kind of evolved there, and it helped that. I, I, you know, I have to thank the Lakers for probably putting me on the map in that sense because I, I guarantee if it had been on any other team before that, I probably wouldn't even be big shot by. So oh, that's the guy that can make shots because of the Lakers brand. And you know, you yeah. got to have you know, the Mamba, you got to have Shaq, you, you got to have a nickname, you know, in this game and. And when you when you anointed a nickname and I give it to yourself, then you know you're doing something good in this league. So um, you know that that, yeah. that was fun times. That gets to a good point about playing for the Lakers. Does it just feel different when you're in a not only in a big city? There's celebrities sitting around the court. Obviously, you guys are winning championships, so you know yeah. all the spotlight is on you. Uh, kind of what what's it like to be a Laker? Man, it's so much pressure. It is so much pressure. Um, you know, I love our Lakers fans, but I love it when we're on the road because I didn't feel as much pressure on the road, man. Huh. You think about it, you got Denzel looking at you, you got Jennifer Lopez, Halle Berry, you know, uh, 
get you got uh Jack Nicholson, you got all these stars, Kenny Marshall, you know, you have all these celebrities that were, you know, just watching you and you know, and you were on the stage. And if you think about it, if you look at the way the Lakers have their arena set up, it's dark around the fans and it's boom, spotlight is on the stage. It's like a stage. And it was it was it was tough. And plus the Laker brand, you know, all those championships, the the the, the, the Lake Allure, all these, you know, these these exceptional, phenomenal uh, extraordinary players that come through there, and now you on that stage, and everybody expects, hey, impress us. We need to win. You know, they sit back, yeah. and you got to win for them. And it, it was, it was, it was an amazing time. And it was, my, I look at my career. When you first come to the league, you want to learn. I had a great team for learning. Then you want to kind of get pushed out of nest and fly and be noticed. And then I got with the Lakers. It was like, what bigger stage is than the Lakers? And at that time, it was none. You know. Yeah, and then and later in my career, you just want to you know play and have fun and enjoy the moment and just kind of you know fly under the radar, and that's what the San Antonio Spurs brought to me. But you know that Laker stage and that Laker brand, it, it, it's a lot of pressure, and <laughs> if you're not ready to handle it physically or mentally, it it it, it can you know force you out of town real fast. <laughs> so you mentioned you went from the kind of the bright light of the Laker stage then to San Antonio. Um, and played there for several years and won, again, two more championships mm-hmm. in 05 and 07. First, I guess, what was it like playing for Greg Popovich? You know, Pop was, was cool because Pop was just, uh, he was like that father figure where he treated everybody the same. He would yell at you, smack you around. I don't literally mean smack you around, but I just yeah. should pick a term. And then, all right, let's go to lunch. You know, let's come over here, let's go have a glass of wine. Let's talk about this. Because he, knows how, he knew how to separate basketball from personal. Um, for him, you know, a lot of coaches, they can be mad at you on the court and that might last two or three weeks. And all of a sudden you're in the doghouse. You're like, why am I in the dog? Oh, you mad because I yelled at you? This is a sport. We're going to yell sometime. We're going to cry. We're going to curse. We're going to do all these things. It's just emotion. It's an emotional game. And he knew that. And so some of the times he was just, you know, he, he, he let it go. And I think for him and his ability to understand that it's an emotional game and I'm going to yell at you. You're going to yell at me sometime. But at the end of the day, we still have to be in this thing together. And you're the extended family. And, and we have to just go from there and ride it out. And he was, he was the best at that. And I've seen some coaches get mad at some guys because they're late. And the next thing you know, this guy might not play for half the season unless someone yeah. gets hurt because they're that mad at him for being late or something else happened. And and and, and Pop, he, was, he wasn't like that. He was just a guy who just he wanted you to do uh, – best as a human being you know play hard take care of your family um be a man um be a role model be a, a accepted person in in society in the community so that's just that's just what he was he, he knew it was more to life than just basketball and there you obviously played with tim duncan as well yeah. um another superstar was was he a leader on that team was was he someone that looked to you because now you were obviously coming off you know five championships coming into san antonio what was the dynamic like there you know, it was a little different. That time it totally different, you know, hmm. because they had just won a championship. They just eliminated us from the playoffs. Uh, Lakers. Right. So, and it was weird. It's almost like I'm, I'm like, I left the Lakers and now I'm saying, you can't beat them. You join them. Yeah, right? Right. I wasn't trying to join them. <laughs> <laughs> At the time was, I, I didn't, I wanted to stay with the Lakers, but the, the money was, there was no money there. So I had to go where the money was. And San Antonio had, had a, a nice little spot for me. So that kind of worked out for me. And, you know, getting there, it's like everybody, it was weird. Everybody was like, was like their own leader. Hmm. Um, it was no rah-rah guy. It was no guy in, the, in getting up in the locker room, giving the emotional speeches, doing that. Because everybody kind of like, hey, this is what we got to do. 
guys, let's get on it. it and that was that was the biggest rah rah speed. Hey, we gotta win this game. We, you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't like you, you hear about these teams where they had a, a player only meeting. We would have player only meetings just to say we had player only meetings and, and talk about everything but probably with the game. So yeah, it it was just one of those things that you didn't have to because every, they had one championship there. Everybody was mature. Everybody was knew what they needed to do. It, like you know, like I said, the rock says you know your role and shut your mouth. That's what guys pretty much did in San Antonio. They did their role, did what they were supposed to do, and just kind of flew under the radar. Hmm. And so there's probably just less drama there than probably with with Los Angeles. Yeah. Yes, yeah, but it was—I think it was less drama than a lot of teams because I hear about some of the guys. Yeah. You know, I—I I, I was very fortunate. I played with a lot of guys in college that went on the NBA team, and I, I remember telling uh, uh, Michael Finley when he first came to to the Spurs, I said, "Dude, you got you, you. Let me tell you something. Two things you got to do. You got to really know this system because there is no shortcuts because there's a lot of plays. This is the most plays I ever had in my life. And the second thing is." You got to stay in shape on your own. He's like, what do you mean? I said, we don't practice here. <laughs> I said, you got to stay in shape. Because yeah. it was, it was, Pop was all the way, always about what they call it, load management now. We load manage in practice. We didn't load manage doing games. We load manage in practice where you, you come in, you get some shots up, get a sweat, and you go home. You do all your therapy, your ice, and your stretching and all these kinds of things. But it, it, it was, it was funny because Michael Finn was like, yeah, I see what you got to mean. I said, you got to stay in shape yeah. on your own. And you have to get on that treatment. When you feel like you're not in shape, you ha- you have to be you know mindful of your body. If you feel like you're not in shape, you got to go out there and yeah. work at it and, and and keep your body ready and be self motivated. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe a highlight there was that what game five of the 05 finals, right? Um, yeah. Against the Pistons. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, people said that was one of the one of the greatest finals performances ever. Twenty one points in the fourth quarter. You're 34 <laughs> at the time, right? So you're, I mean, that's young, younger than yeah. I am, but it's, uh, it's, it's getting on. And, uh, that's, that's long in the tooth, like they were saying, basketball. Yeah. Yes, yes. So tell me about that game and, and what that meant to you and your career. You know, for me, when you come into certain situations, you know what you have on the team. Um, I knew what I had in Houston, and I knew what I had in L.A. And this was only my second year with the Spurs. And I remember us getting beaten by the Lakers. And you, you you watched when we walked off the court by getting by the Lakers. My first year with Spurs, it was like, oh, well, we lost. You know, we're going like, it was nobody mad. So I was like, okay, what's going on here? How do you guys win a championship? Because, you know, it's like you got to have a little bit of, like, anger in you, like a little fire. And so I – and it was weird because when you got into yeah. the last season, I saw it. I was like, okay, okay, y'all just acquired assassins like they always say, right? And – so I was like, okay, this is why this this is me. I'm the quiet assassin. And then going into game five, I remember I had an awful first half. Um, I just I was sitting in the corner. And you have to know the dynamics of the uh, the Pistons locker room. Let me just say, Pistons locker room one of the worst locker rooms in the NBA, and <laughs> business locker room. And so I'm in the corner, very small corner. I'm talking to myself. I remember Bruce Bowen looking at me like, "What's wrong with him?" You know, because they yeah. had never seen me. In the finals, because it's just different. There's playoff and there's finals, Rob. There's different versions of me. 
And so all great versions, but they're just different versions. So that was one of the one time I was in the corner just talking to myself because I was so mad at myself. I'm like, this is a big stage. And then you come out in, in the second half and you just lighten them up. And I will I will say this. I was so mad at Pop after that game because he ran no plays for me. Those were all bad shots that I took oh. on my own. <laughs> <laughs> so and people laugh, like they laugh at me, like I said, dude, it wasn't my play. I was just feeling so good. I jacked yes. it. I'm like, look at a couple of plays. It was just supposed to be swinging it. No, I'm shooting this thing. Yeah. It, even the uh, even the inbounds play where I hit the shot at the end of the game, it wasn't for me. It was for Manu. <laughs> I'm like, what? Um, but it, it was it was just funny um, how you you know you, you have to take advantage of your opportunities and. And I, I always and I tell my son Christian, I said, dude, if you're feeling good, shoot it. Yeah. If it goes in, ain't nobody gonna be mad at you. You should, and most people understand. If you're feeling it, you keep shooting until you miss. Nobody's gonna say a word as long as you missed it. You can miss one, but if you miss three in a row, then you have to go back to everything else. So, but that game five for me was probably my ultimate game high. Yeah. Just with the feeling that I just knocking down those threes in the finals. Doing it in somebody else's arena, right? And 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 then getting um, what one of my friends called a Batman dunk, and getting the dunk over Rip Hamilton, you know. <laughs> especially when my kids, so you thirty five, you can't dunk anymore, you know. Being able to get one of those, you know, stretch out dunk on your dunks was was great. So, and when you're feeling it like that, is that something you tell your coach, or is it just something you just gotta on your own take the shot? Your team, yeah, your teammates know. The coaches, they they think they know. Yeah. But your teammates know more because you tell them like, yo, give me a rock, give me a rock. Yeah. You know, you tell them like, and then you you see guys not calling their plays. I'm like, I have no plays, but I knew the plays where I can get shots on. Hey, run, run horns up, run, run horns side, because I knew if I catch it, it was gonna come to me, it's gonna get me into an emotion where I like to shoot, swing and shoot and, and rise up. So yeah, that was that was a good thing. And do you feel like now, I mean, the three-pointer has become even a larger much larger part of the game since you retired with yeah. Steph Curry and and others so did you feel like you're ahead of your time a little bit as sort of a three-point specialist well I, I think I was the way we treated basketball was the way it is played now where they move me from small forward to power forward and now you want to quote unquote call stretch for you and I, I think I laugh when I hear certain guys say, oh I was the originator of this originator of that and I look back yeah. and I like, dude stop it no yeah what you know, Phoenix Suns, like I said, well, we were originally a small ball. I'm like, no, you wouldn't. Stop it. We did that in 94, 95 before you were even in the league, you know. So <laughs> <laughs> we kind of started that with Houston Rockets. And, and, and the only reason it wasn't called small ball, I mean, with me at small ball, because uh, my uh, second year, third year with the Lakers, I had to bulk up because I knew I was going to play majority of power forward. So I put on 15 pounds of muscle one summer. So I'm like, okay, I'm not small anymore. I'm more power forward now. So, but yeah, it, it was it it was fun to be one of the originators of small ball and yeah. and and the way guys are playing now. It's 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 more graceful, but I will say I do miss the hard fouls. I'm not even gonna lie. I miss seeing who who's had who has a who mentally tough, but he's gonna keep going to the hole like Michael Jordan, regardless of what the outcome is gonna be. If you're gonna hit me, I'm gonna come back even stronger next time. So yeah, you, you miss those moments. That brings us to kind of the president and LeBron James. I mean, he can kind of do it all, right? He yes. can take a hard foul. Yeah, he can take a hard foul and give one. You know, I, yeah. I watch him on his spin moves sometimes. He punishes people when he spins. If you get caught in the wrong way, it, it's it's not a malicious elbow. It's just when you, you got to – the elbow's got to go somewhere when you spin. And when he spins, he hits you with one, you're like, oh, well, hey, that's what it goes back to the old – when a ref told me one time when I tried to get to the hole, 
He said, you got to get stronger, young fella. And I'm like, what? That was a foul. And this, you got to be strong. And, and the, sometimes LeBron looks like a man playing with boys. Sometimes yeah. he's so big and physical. Um, and how do you think the Lakers are going to do this season? They obviously, they lost some people, but they brought in a lot of new people. People yeah. I think they've had maybe the greatest offseason of any team. So how are they looking yeah. for this upcoming season, 2021? I Man, I, I think they did an awesome job. I love the guys that they had last year, but they kind of like, upgraded a little bit. Yeah. Um, you, you look at Montrez Howell, to me, was the biggest key because when you when you go to a guy who has the ability to be six men a year, score inside, you know, be nasty. I, you know, you, when you're playing a game of basketball, you got to be a little bit nasty. You got to have some intimidation. If you look around the league, he's probably the number one intimidator to me because <laughs> you just, you know, he, he he takes nothing from anybody. He he dishes it and he scores in the paint with ease. And that's going to also allow Anthony Davis to do some of the things he wants to do and stay outside, you know, other, uh, outside the three-point line. So I, I like that move. I, and I you like took him from the, the Clippers. One too. And you take him from the Clippers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like the Gasol. I know anytime you get some bigs that can rebound and, and get you some, some points in the paint, it, it's beneficial for the team. Because like you said, everybody wants to shoot threes now, but you got to get some, you got to get some easy buckets sometimes. So I, I want to finish off, Robert, with a few kind of get-to-know-you questions that we do as part, mm-hmm. part of the supporting cast. They revolve around L.A. L.A. is known for our movies, our food, <laughs> and our climate. Beautiful day Uh-oh. today, uh, I should add. What is Robert Ory's favorite movie? Oh, my goodness. My favorite? I, have, I don't have just one. Okay. I have two. All right. That's, um, that's fine. What are the two? <laughs> uh, growing up, I, I love Beverly Hills Cop. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. And... And I love Trading Places. Those are my two favorite all-time Both movies. Both Eddie Murphy. Oh, Eddie Murphy, though. I'm a big Eddie Murphy fan. You know, and you know, in a close second is Purple Rain Prince, my favorite artist. So those ah. are my those are my top three. I just can't pick just one, but the top two is Trading Places and and, and Family Hills Cop. What's your favorite meal in LA? It can be at a restaurant. It can be something you guys cook at home. I think for me. Is I'm a foodie, and when yeah. I retire, you can tell because I put on 20 pounds or I love to eat. Um, I, I like the one of my favorite places to go, a place called Avra in Beverly Hills. I, I love that their food is, is, is Greek, and I love oh, yeah, seafood. I've been there. I love seafood, yeah. Avra is my one of my favorites. That's in a great Tao restaurant because yeah. I love Asian food also. So, those are my two faves. Oh, sorry, Avra, Avra, and what was the other one? Uh, Tao. Oh, Tao, got it, yeah, especially they, they're they sea bass. Uh, the appetizer sea bass is, is, and their rock shrimp is some of the best you ever have. <laughs> and then thirdly, what's your favorite place in LA? You know, it's my, my favorite place is just being at home. Yeah. Um, I, I love being at home. I love watching TV. I love watching everything. My wife and I, we always picking out certain things to watch. And we just like right now, my favorite show is, of course, Mandalorian. I'm watching that right now. Oh, okay. so, I'm so happy for <laughs> season two. <laughs> Got it. So you guys streaming a lot at home. Exactly. Yes. All right. Last question before we go. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I know you're a parent and you have a, a ninth grader, a ninth grade boy at Harvard mm-hmm. Westlake. I have a two year old daughter. Um, mm-hmm. What is your best parenting advice? Listen to your kids. You know, mm-hmm. a, a lot of times parents just want to, you know, tell the kids what to do. But sometimes for me, I just like to listen to my kids and we sit down, we talk about, you know, the best way to come up with whatever situations at hand. You know, having 26, 21, and a 15-year-old, yeah. you have a, a wide range of opinions and voices. So, you, you know, just listen to your kids and, and be honest with the kids. And, and that's what I do as a parent because 
I, I know I wasn't the best child growing up. I had my <laughs> devious ways and, you know, I, I did things behind my parents' back. But I think now it's like I, I try to tell my, my sons, to, you know, we sit down and talk and also be respectful of whoever you come across because you never know who you're talking to. And more importantly, um, having black sons, just please watch where you're going and where you go. And, and like I said before, come home to your dad, to your parents. I know there are many parents uh, at Harbor West Lake, black parents who talk about having the talk kind of with their kids yeah. Uh, yeah. around getting pulled over and things like that. I don't know if that's something mm -hmm. that, that you have shared with your son. Yeah, we, we, we have that talk. We have that talk constantly because I, loud music and being tatted up for one of my sons and uh, you have to be very careful because images, you know, even people don't understand is the image plays a big role in how we view people. And even though you could be the smartest kid, the nicest kid or the meanest kid or the roughest kid, that first impression is the impression that people go with. So images is everything. Well, Robert Ori, thank you so much for spending time with us, talking about your career, some of the coaches and players that you played with. And really this is fun, this. man. This is, this oh, is yeah. fun. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much.